0: And welcome back to Mixed Media. We're back at it for another episode of your favorite podcast, your favorite weekly podcast happening every Friday at 7 p.m. And I'm, I'm really proud of Mixed Media. I'm really proud of uh, how we've come along. It's, it's been a while. I don't know if I can say it's a new podcast anymore, even though uh, all our little marketing things say all new podcast. Maybe not so all new anymore. but. Still fun and fresh in my mind. We um, in
1: what in March?
0: Yeah, something like that. So we've had five
1: we, months. Yeah.
0: Yeah, twenty-four. I think this is episode number twenty-four. Yeah, like five, five and so months. That's pretty. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, I'd like to thank everyone out there who is watching for tuning in, whether you're watching in post or not. One thing I'll say is. Uh, You guys who are on Rumble, you guys are really quiet, but you love our stuff. I've I've noticed, especially recently, an influx of people on Rumble. That's really awesome. So please let us know in the comment who you are and uh, join our Discord. That's a cool place to interact with us. And, yeah, we would just love to hear more from the Rumble crowd out there. Um, And so with that... Um, I guess we'll introduce ourselves. So my name is Irving. I'm a filmmaker and media entrepreneur. I own a company called Ariella. Remember to wear the hat today. Got that awesome logo, Ariella.co. And uh, yeah, Ben, who are you?
1: I'm Ben Costello. I'm a flute player and a media composer.
0: And uh, where are you now?
1: So I, I moved out to LA last week, although I guess I... So I'm living in Northridge, so I, I, I've been told that I, I can't really say, even though it's technically L.A. city, uh, that y- there's a difference between the city and the valley. So I live in the San Fernando Valley, and you have to say if you live in the valley, not in the city, even though it's technically the city. So
0: Is it is it for the honor of the people in the city or for the honor of the people in the valley?
1: <laughs> um, I really don't know. I've just been told that I can't say that I live in the city.
0: Ah, I gotcha. <laughs> Um, hold on i've got my villain lighting going. I have nowhere else to put this light, but uh to uplight myself unfortunately, but uh it makes me look a little bit like a villain sometimes uh,
1: <laughs> Wearing yeah all black doesn't help
0: yeah exactly <laughs> yeah how are you uh how are you adjusting though um have you i mean you haven't started class yet right or anything like that
1: yeah I, my classes start on Monday, so still trying to figure out where i am basically and all of that stuff where i live like directly where i live is kind of a nice area but it's kind of a weird mix of like urban and like and suburban that's kind of hard nothing not like anything i've seen on the east coast
0: yeah that sounds really bizarre it's like la is like this endless sprawl right like that's just infinite (laughs) yeah an interesting uh interesting place and you're kind of moving there at an interesting time too so
1: yeah it's funny i mean i, I move out here and then like the day after I, I got here um they basically announced that you know everything was going to be online anyway so you know i'm out here fin- you know for grad school but doing it online even though the school is literally like 10 feet away from me so
0: the apple you cannot eat yeah. Cool. Well, uh, we're we're mixed media. We're a weekly podcast happening every Friday at seven p.m. I don't know if I said that already. Um, and we talk about art, anything to do with the arts
1: space. You'd maybe mention now that I'm on Pacific time, that it's, you know seven seven o'clock Eastern time.
0: Yeah, seven o'clock Eastern. If you're on the West Coast, uh, it's a little bit earlier. Just a little bit earlier. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we talk about art in general, whether it's art philosophy, what's going on, the news of the day, business. Uh, I don't know, reviewing things, interviewing people. We've kind of done it all at this point. And hopefully next week we'll have all three of us. There are usually three hosts on this show. And if we have all three of us next week, we might try out a new format. And uh, what I want from our audience is to tell us if you like it. Because the the best thing that you can do for us, more than anything else, is to give us some feedback. So if you like the new format that's going to happen next week, uh just let us know and hopefully we'll have all three of us to try that. And yeah, I guess I'll uh I'll go on with my topic for this week. So uh this week I'll be talking about the the beginnings of being a director. And it's actually one of those hard things that's very hard to learn because of two things. One there's a million and one ways to do it. You know there's there's it's not the most defined role you know if you're a dp you at least know you're confined to the camera right (laughs) um whereas if you're a director you're directing the whole show there's a million and one ways to go about it there's not really one process the second reason is because indie film directing is going to be completely completely different from uh, what you'll find in the industry. I'm gonna be coming at it from an indie film uh, perspective. I've not done anything even close to uh, industry stuff. And also I'm not an expert, so this is just kind of my my thoughts. And it really is uh, uh, a 101, and it's mostly about leadership is what I'm gonna be talking about. It's, it's, I think the things about directing that are hardest to learn are the things that aren't actually the filmmaking Itself, or at least can be a harder, harder to learn for some people, at least. So I kind of wanted to talk about those sort of interpersonal aspects of directing.
1: Yeah, it's interesting too that I think for for film composers, um, you know, everyone's always saying, and from a little bit of, of personal experience, the act of composing is really only half of of what you do it's you know all these other kind of intangible networking skills and then you know to get jobs and then to lead the people that you're who are on your team or the musicians that you're you're working with those are things that are i think it's kind of a parallel you know skills that aren't as directly like based on creating art that are still really important to the job
0: yeah if you're if you're not able to work with uh a team to get a team around you um if you're doing a collaborative art form then uh it's kind of futile it <laughs> doesn't matter how brilliant you are if you need other people in order to complete your project then uh you're gonna have to be able to deal with people well or else uh it doesn't matter how awesome and creative you are um you will not get the job done. (laughs) So yeah, I I actually want to give a shout out, shout out to uh, Scott before I started. Scott was on the show. He was a composer, been interviewed, and he gave me the idea for doing this episode. So shout out to Scott. Um, I don't know if he's watching right now. Doesn't look like he would be, but shout out to you. Thank you for uh, giving me this idea. If you want to give us more episode ideas, just a link is in the description to our discord. All right, so I think the first thing is what is the job of the director? Um, Actually, I'll even backtrack it further because this is a question I had before I even started to understand film, you know, production, you know, when I was just learning about film at the very beginning. It's hard for me to understand how the director fit in with the rest of the hierarchy of everything going on. Um, If you look at a hierarchy chart, it may confuse you that the director is not the top, top on the hierarchy chart, but then it, everything seems to be underneath him or her, right? Um, and I'll just explain that real quick. So a director can either be working for himself or working for a another entity. So whether it's a person or a company or whatever, right? So you could be a contracted director or you can be, you know, this could be your own project and that you are... Um, your own boss for for a lot of indie directors. That's going to be you, right? You're going to be for a lot of you, not all of you. um, That's going to be you. You have put the money together. You've gained the funding, maybe you have investors, but the way that you've structured everything you've maintained full, uh, you know, majority uh, status on your project. That's most indie films. I would say sometimes you are hired by a writer. So, Um, this happens obviously with crew, right? So you're, you're more like, you're more like crew in your relationship to your, to the project. So, um, recently I was director of photography on a production, um, and the director wrote the thing. So he was the, he wrote the thing, he funded the thing out of his own pocket. So he was the director at the top of everything. And he contracted me, the director of photography to do the photography. For the, for the production. So that's more of your relationship. Now, if you're a director in that situation, you've likely been hired by a production company um, that's pushing you out to a project or you've picked up someone else's script and you've pitched it well, pitched your vision for that script, but whatever it is, I think less people are gonna be in that camp because you're more towards the industry side of things and I can't really help you. <laughs> um, so yeah, so the director, you'll often see it's underneath producer, but oftentimes if, if you own the project, you are also essentially a producer um, and producer is a completely amorphous title um, that I'm not gonna get into right now. Um, <laughs> many people can be producers. Cool, so what is the what is your job? If your title is director, you have a job. So you're, you have two, I think, big things. Your job is to manage the, vi- the vision So manage the vision, whether it was given to you, whether the script was given to you, or it's your own idea, you've got to manage it. You are the manager of the vision, the abstract thing. And you have to manage the vision makers. In film, you cannot create a film alone. Well, you can. Yeah, well, I shouldn't say you cannot. You literally can, but uh, you're not watching this if you're doing a one-man band sort of thing. uh, And also bless you that's crazy <laughs> um i've known people to do it though but it's insane <laughs> yeah so manage the vision really
1: hard to do that with like actors too you know you still have to, like unless you're gonna shoot yourself I mean, some
0: people will even make themselves the one and only character as well <laughs> and uh that sounds really lonely too uh not judging but uh <laughs> i think that would drive me insane
1: <laughs> this sounds difficult to me
0: yeah <laughs> yeah, you have to check your your own takes, your own performances in camera. I I I, I don't even want to think about it. It's giving me anxiety. <laughs> um But yeah, so you have to manage manage your vision makers. So the people who are gonna be adding their own input. It's a multidisciplinary art form. There is music, there is sound, there is picture, there is uh wardrobe, makeup, hair like it, it just it goes on forever color every, all the post production is a whole other animal you know so like it's it's a multidisciplinary uh subject meaning you're going to be watching over many different types of creatives work in their wheelhouse for your vision right the the vision that you're managing which puts you in a interesting situation where you may not be the expert about something you know, and you will not be the expert about maybe you know most of it' cause, i mean most most people can can only have enough time to really soak in you know one aspect of that for me, it's uh probably uh you know the photography end of things, the cinematography ends of things, and uh the writing aspect of things. Everything else I can do, but I wouldn't be the I wouldn't hire myself to do it, right? <laughs> um, especially things like wardrobe and stuff like that. You know, that, <laughs> don't I? I wouldn't trust me with that at all. <laughs> um, so you're gonna be in a position where you will have all the power over other people and their decision making, and you should have all the power. Let me be clear: you need to absorb and retain all that power but you're gonna have a lot of other people who are more powerful in the sense that they know how to do the thing better than you do in their respective fields, right? Um, they're more creatively gifted in those aspects. So that's an interesting dynamic and that, that causes the forever wars between, uh, between the director and uh, the, the, the different aspects of filmmaking and you get all those lovely dramatic stories of uh, fighting between directors and uh, other creatives. Okay. So where do we start? I'm going to start with leadership and that's what this is mostly going to be about. And I think, I think being a good leader is more about yourself than it is going to be about other people. And uh, I'm going to clarify that real quick. So what do I mean? I mean, you yourself have to be a good person in order to run a good set. That's where you start. It starts before you even think about the creative. It starts with how good are you at actually how well do you know yourself that's that's the first question know thyself right so so how well do you know yourself how do you well do you know your strengths, your weaknesses, what you can and can't handle um where you're likely to have uh stress points when you're on set preset post set whatever. You need to know yourself very well. And this is actually very difficult, you know. I mean, everyone thinks they have self-reflection, right? But uh, if you go and uh, survey the world, you'll, you probably come to the conclusion yourself that not many people self-reflect well. Well, don't, don't, don't uh, just stop there. Self-reflect even more about yourself, right, to help, uh, help, help, that, help humanity out. So, so reflect on yourself. That's the first thing that you need to do and you need to own your flaws and you need to own your personality type or personality. You need to understand how you interpret information and how you communicate information. So for me, um, I know I have a tendency to speak when I uh, am conversing with uh, about anything really. If I'm having an important conversation, I get very technical with my words. So my words mean a specific thing to, the, to a point where I'll, like, backtrack and I'll, like, correct myself, you know, um, to to be even more clear, even if it's going to be 10 times more verbose, right? I probably do that on this podcast. <laughs> um, and so I know that, I do that, and I know that that's not always efficient, right? So I know if I'm on set and I'm asked to do X, Y, Z, then and, and I need to do, make this decision right now, I know that I have to be careful because I may say X, and, and it might acquire, because I'm being very technical with my language, when I say, um, I need a half stop down on the exposure, right? Or something like that. Um, that's a weird example. But I mean, literally, I need a half stop down on the exposure, not expose me down to where I'm happy, right? Whereas some directors might not know what a half stop means, and they'll say, I want to half stop down, and then the DP thinks, "I'm, I'm gonna expose this down to where I think it should be." Right? So wh- I know I speak precisely like that. I won't use those words unless I mean them. Right? So that's just a really uh, example. So particulars like that. Really examine yourself next time you're directing something for fun, or like you're you know, you're working on a set. Really look at your own behavioral mannerisms and think about how they interplay with other people on set and stuff like that. Next, look at those weaknesses that you've assessed and start to work on being better, right? Like, you know, don't just leave yourself there and know your weaknesses. Try to fill those, those gaps, start virtue building, right? So like, don't just, uh, don't just be like, wow, I really suck at communicating. Um, so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna figure worm my way around it. Well, yeah, you might have to need some workarounds while you're trying to get better at communicating, but don't stop trying to get good at communicating, right? Like, you know, you still need to, you need, you need that skill still as a director and you want the process to be as smooth as possible. Remember, the less time you're dealing with set drama, the more time your head is in your own world. I think this is the best way to phrase it. I've, I can't remember, some director said it, said, uh, said it this way. Basically that, you know, what a director always wants to do is be in the universe that is actively being created in front of him. And that is, I I deeply feel that, you know. Um, So if I'm on the set of uh, Operation First Light, a film I worked on with uh, Ben, I'd rather not talk to anyone, and I'd rather just focus on what's actually, you know, unfolding in front of me. And I want to be absorbed in my own world so I can make sure the vision is being taken care of while I'm there. The reality is, is that's not going to happen, especially on an indie production, uh, 100%, right? Um, And it doesn't even happen on professional productions, 100%. It's never going to happen. It's an unfortunate reality. You're going to have to tend to things that have nothing to do with the universe that you're trying to create, right? But you want to maximize that. So the less drama, confusion, all this kind of stuff that you have on set, the more you can sit inside your universe as you create it. Um, which is where you, you probably want to be. So work on those virtues. So if you lose your temper, that is going to be a very important virtue to manage. Uh, you, know, uh, you, know, you, you can't be losing your temper all the time on set. That's, that's not okay. You will not get very far. Um, and then keep going. Like, don't stop at, oh, I've solved my temper problem on set, uh, but I habitually lie to my crew to get what I want done well, don't do that either, you know? So continue on and recognize where your flaws are because if you're not honest with your crew, they will know. Like, I, get, I you are not as smart as you think you are. You are not as smart as you think you are. Everyone can see through your crap. So don't be that uh, guy without integrity. You are leading the ship. You want everyone else to be honest with you, so be honest with them. Obviously, there's going to be, like, candor and stuff like that, but you're not going to, like... <laughs> tell someone, I think you should, uh, quit your job forever. Um, that's not a nice thing to say. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the honesty that, that, uh, that, uh, gets the job done. Um, let's see. So yeah, that's all that. So then we move on to, okay, now I am thinking about myself more. I'm, I'm taking care of myself more, but now I've got to, you know, uh, a date tomorrow I'm, I'm i'm waking up at at 4am 3am uh to read the script again and then i don't know go through some ritual to try to make myself be, feel better before i uh i uh um see all the eyes looking at me demanding that i know exactly what to do right now <laughs> you know When when you're doing that, you're gonna have to know how to deal with people as well. So not just know yourself, but okay, how do I know the people around you? Well, hopefully you've got a good amount of people around you who you know. So sometimes you have control over that, sometimes you don't. So as much as you can have control over that, I heavily implore you that oftentimes, it's better to get the person on your team that you have confidence in as a as a person with integrity, that you know what they can do, that you can communicate effectively with. It's better to get those people on board than to get the person that's a little bit better, right? Obviously there's gonna be a balance, you know, between different interests, but really don't discount the fact that you know people and you want a lot of those people on your set, as many as you can, um, but you're not gonna know all of them. so. As much as you can know the people who are on your set, um, make sure you care about them. <laughs> you know, like that, that can't go on set. So like if you're in between projects, like, I don't know, like reach out to them or something, you know, talk to people. It, it's good to keep keep in touch and keep on the same wavelength about uh, life so that when it comes to time that you aren't uh, completely different uh, people to each other. So. What about other people? Acquaintances or people you don't know. So you might be a director and you have a sound guy who is just the local sound guy. You have no idea how to work with him. You have no idea really, if he knows what he's doing, he's giving you examples, but that's never really assurance to a director, of course. Um, (laughs) You're always nervous. So what I would suggest is to, this is the way, this is more of a me thing, the way I tend to do things. So you may not find that this works for you. Um, So buy or beware. But I would pick a heuristic. So why heuristics are, are, are useful. They are heuristics because they allow you to try to tackle a problem quickly um, without going to, through the normal uh, rigor of thinking about something and mulling over a problem, uh, but get to a approximate solution. They also can backfire many ways, but that's, that's not relevant for here. But I would use a personality heuristic. That's kind of how I approach things. So, uh, Ben, have you heard of, uh, like, you know, personality types and things like that? I'm sure.
1: Yeah. Like, like Myers-Briggs sort of things or.
0: Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. So there's, there's plenty of them. There's like, you know, uh, big five Myers-Briggs. There's like a really ancient Uh, one where there's four types, um, hmm. or four or six, something like that. Um there's there's a lot of uh there's a lot of debate about like okay what's the relative merit of these things well we don't care right because this is a heuristical thing so um it's it's not about you're not going to use these things to type people actually right you're not going to like be like you're this type so i'm going to treat you like this that's not that's not what you want to do that would be uh bad <laughs> very uh you would be uh simplifying people way too much um, but what it can do is help you to understand what might be the quickest route to a solution if you're in a bind. So I'll give you an example. So I like Myers-Briggs because of uh, the way I think it's the easiest way I can graft people into different boxes. It sounds really weird, but I promise you it's, it's, it's for a good purpose. It's, it's not uh, to generalize people. Um, It allows me to put people in different boxes. And throughout the years, I've come to notice that these, Uh, different places tend to very well describe very general properties of people, right? So there's the dispute about, okay, well, in psychology today, like the big five personality is the thing that is considered to be the empirically superior uh, personality type thing. I don't have time to learn big five. I know Myers-Briggs, so I'm going to go with that, right? So, (laughs) um, and so I first try to, know myself so i am an entp um i probably have been since roughly around high school which gives me a, a certain understanding of myself if i were to look at it literally look at the different properties of entps literally of course i would uh disagree with certain aspects of things or things i would say ah a little bit more a little bit less well i'm an individual right i'm not i'm not an ENTP Unit, right? (laughs) Um, But I can recognize a lot of, if not all, of the weaknesses uh, described in in the ENTP subset. I definitely embody, right? (laughs) Um, And so I can use that to help put words to things I might not understand about myself. So I'll give you an example. Uh, So ENTPs are easily distracted, like, like we're squirrels, basically. And there's a reason why we're squirrels, but actually, uh, you know, before learning about my personality type, it would have been very difficult for me to describe to someone else what it feels like to be in my mind, which obviously is going to be hard to describe. You only know your own mind, right? Until you contrast it with like how other people describe their minds and you're like, oh, wait, I think very differently from you. (laughs) Um, My internal conversations and my internal home is very differently constructed than yours, which is fine. And I can say, hmm, it's not just that I'm a squirrel because that's 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 not really what it is. It looks like that from the outside, especially when I was uh, younger. And again, we're trying to build virtue, so not trying to stay like that for my entire life. You know, I can definitely say that it's like that because of the way my brain processes information. So, I tend to look possibilities as an explosion of possibilities of like, okay, I get this input. There's a whole bunch of association that happens. And then I tend to pick apart each possibility logically until I come down to something that I'm happy with, which might be never. So (laughs) that is that is the and this happens, whether it's uh, what I'm going to eat tomorrow or, uh, um, you know, the deepest life uh, uh, quandaries. It's the same sort of pattern of thinking that just throws my brain into you know i I start with like what am i going to eat tomorrow and i end with uh uh the philosophy philosophy of culinary art and what i should be eating in a more abstract way because i'm trying to get a solution to what i should eat tomorrow right so (laughs) that's that's me and that comes over with with, a with a bunch of drawbacks so i know that so i would i would say you know it's kind of fun too so like you know i would say you know if you're going to go this route um, find something that you can interpret very easily. I caution again against being overly broad with it, or yeah, just just being too confident in your in your assessments um, or anything like that. But you can look at that person that you will not have a chance to have a coffee with before you go on set. You know, maybe it's your maybe it's the AC or something like that and the AC's is freaking the hell out because the DP is throwing a tantrum and refuses to come on set. And the AC is like, I don't know what to do. You know, freak it out, whatever um, <laughs> um, or something like that or whatever the heck problem comes up. You've never talked to that AC. And unfortunately that's the reality sometimes. And that person comes up to you. Maybe you've observed that they're probably an INFP or something like that um and perhaps you can try to under, get in that person's mind and have empathy for how they're feeling and thinking in that moment so that you can soothe them as quickly as possible um both because you care about that person and also because you need to solve the problem right there's there's no way around it so for that infp that might be me that might mean say listen like i know that you're freaking out you're doing the best job that you can uh, that you can without the DP being here, I'm going to handle this because uh, they, they they are responsible for the camera. You do the things that you know to do, and then you go get coffee and take a break, right? That might be the right solution for the INFP. Whereas with, like, I don't know, uh, uh, a me, I'm not going to be happy with that because I'm going to be like, Yo, give me a solution now or else I'm going to be freaking out for the like, you know, like literally give me the the step by step of like what exactly is going to happen or else uh, I'm going to be uh, thinking about all the different things and I'm going to be stressed the hell out and tired before we even start. Right. Or something like that. Just really random examples. Um, And that could give you better communication and leadership on on a dynamic atmosphere where you're not necessarily knowing everyone super well. Of course, you're gonna replace those things with good relationships whenever possible, right? So there's that. So uh, the last thing I'll, I'll uh, go here with is uh, the things that I think are the most important to do when you become the director, right? You are not, you don't become the director on set. Well, not normally, unless you're doing like some crazy fast-paced uh, like commercial uh, directing or something like that. Um, and you're like replacing some director um, for some commercial shoot or something like that. But normally, you're not, uh, you're not just thrust into something, right? If you're doing something narrative, you've probably been working on it for like, I don't know, 10 years or something like that. <laughs> so you're not just thrust into it. So if you have a team, you have to do something first. And this is for yourself, and this is for the respect of everyone there, and this is so that they respect you. You need to have a conversation, you need to sit everyone down, and you need to set down the terms of engagement the first conversation that you have. The first conversation. You can't be having ambiguity about really important things about how you want to run not just your set, but the entire creative process. The set part is going to be like, you know, in a minuscule part of the entire process. Um, it's quite amazing, actually, you know, relatively speaking, how long each part of the process is. You want to set those uh, standards. Early on, so if you have producers working for you as a director, you know which probably people a lot of indie uh, producers or uh, indie directors are going to have, or you have other organizational people like your AD. Uh, you're going to have your probably you know other creatives on early on on board, like your composer or something like that. You want to sit everyone down.
1: It would Be great oh. if you have your composer on early. Normally, that's especially in the, you know industry, but it tends to be like one of the last people you have.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> um, I, I like to have as many creatives that are gonna be heading large departments on as early as possible, just just to I set think, the tone.
1: I think imposes would prefer to be on earlier. Most of them, at least I, I certainly would, but that, that's generally not the reality. Especially like the highest levels, who kind of like unless you're hiring William John Williams or you know Hans Zimmer.
0: Yeah. So when you bring everyone on board, um, set the ground rules first. For me, I highly recommend that the that the first ground rule you set is zero tolerance policy for uh, what I'll call douchebaggery. I have a zero tolerance policy for people being bad people, you know? And I mean, anything from, you know, abusing someone or touching someone inappropriately, anything in that realm, all the way to, I don't know, whether you habitually ignore someone who I've told you that it needs to be your partner in XYZ pursuit or something like that. None of that, and you, you have to be strong. Like there, there's no one else who's gonna be responsible for what you do except for you at the end of the day, which is where a lot of the friction comes from on set, right? Cause you are ultimately the one who has to answer for whether the film is good or bad, right? Um, You can always say, well, I mean, I didn't really get a handle on this or that, but doesn't matter after you spent all that money and time and you've, it doesn't matter anymore. Right? So really every decision you make is just paramountly important, which is part of the stress of being a director. It's extremely stressful. And I think a lot of crew needs to understand how stressful that is too, to, you know, to help the director as well sometimes the decisions being made aren't not well thought out they're just they're 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 just strong decisions right uh for whatever reason and they still may be wrong decisions but you know got to be a good director right <laughs> yeah so you've got to be strong so zero to- tolerance on shenanigans i would recommend um and set that tone outright and make it known that if you see a smidgen a hint of that that you are liable to go ballistic on them. So, uh, you know, whatever consequence uh, that is available to you, you will, you will execute um, is what I would, uh, I would recommend with that kind of stuff. The other thing I would recommend setting a tone for is because you are responsible ultimately for everything, I think that it would be irresponsible if you unduly handed over uh, heavily creative decisions to your team without coming through you first. What the heck is the point? This happens, there are a lot of films uh, where you can tell that it feels more like a a collection of voices rather than one voice, which typically doesn't go very well. Um, Like they're almost competing thoughts about what the central idea of what you're making is, right? The easiest way to solve that is to just route a lot of that high level decision making through yourself. And that's going to make your time burden go up. And that's fine. That's your job. You know, Um, I would say that up front because people are not going to know what you want to know or don't want to know. There are some directors who are like, don't tell me about that or I'll I'll freak out or something like that. Or uh, So make sure people understand the terms of engagement. So even if you're going to be that person who wants to know as little as possible and you focus on the things that you positively command, right, at least make that known to your top level creatives so that they can engage with you the way that you want to be engaged with. But I would recommend saying something like, you know, if this is going to change the tone, the story, you know, in any significant way, I want to know about it. And also make it clear that doesn't, that doesn't mean you're going to change it. That just means you want to know about it. That's all. Um, (laughs) You'd be surprised what people will change uh, behind the director's back. I've seen it uh, firsthand. And uh, (laughs) I always think to myself, hmm, I don't know if that's going to turn out well for you. or, you know, maybe the director won't notice and it'll come out in final production that this does not quite align with the vision very well. Um, and the director is not going to know where it came from. Uh, so you might, you might get away with it, but, uh, uh, (laughs) um, I mean, it's better for you, right? It makes you look better. Um, and at least you can always blame the director uh, at the end of the day (laughs) for being uh, bad. And the final thing I would set the tone for, for sure is candidness. You know, a lot of, artsy people um are very uh sensitive about what they're making which is you should be right like you care about what you're making most of the time so you know you're gonna feel a lot of ways about different things and people are gonna say things that are gonna make your you go do you even understand what you're asking me to do you know do you even understand like what i went through to like get this story to be exactly this and especially for directors if you wrote the thing you've been on this story for Probably you know it might be several years. The story has been in your head, replaying, replaying, and now it has to be manifest. And all of a sudden, someone's being like, "I think it's just not working this way," and you're going to freak out. (laughs) And that's that's a natural reaction. But the better thing is for that person to tell you what might catastrophically ruin your film that you never thought about in the way that that person's thinking about it. The better thing for you to do is to create an atmosphere where people are comfortable talking to each other and talking to you. If you don't do that, I think you're in big trouble. I've seen also that, where people just don't feel comfortable suggesting XYZ. Um, I hope I haven't created atmospheres like that where people don't feel comfortable talking to me. But I try to say up front, everything is is game for telling me. You know, I'd rather you tell me than you know, hold this in and it becomes like a problem for you. Like you just can't get past this roadblock or it becomes a problem for me too, you know, later because I'm like, wait a second, (laughs) that character decision doesn't really make sense. And accept that opinion from anywhere. So if your composer is telling you a story note, take the note, take it, you know? Uh, If if your AC is like, you know, uh, there's, there's boundaries here because Obviously, you don't want you know, everyone talking to you, or else you're going to get information overload. But if your AC is like, I think this lighting doesn't match the way we did it yesterday, right? Um, and I've talked to the DP, and he or she says that it, it matches what it's yesterday, but I'm really certain that the color is just off, <laughs> right? Don't just immediately say, listen to the DP, get out of my face. Take it in and maybe you're not going to go and uh, and challenge the dp directly i wouldn't recommend that e- either but you be the liaison right between the ac and the, the the dp on that particular problem you know like take those those stances this is much more applicable to indie stuff with with a uh, more corporate stuff you may not even have the the ability to talk to uh certain people there are actually some union rules about uh who can talk to you about what, which is uh, quite insane. But, uh, <laughs> wow.
1: but,
0: uh Yeah, it's but
1: like on set sort of thing, or
0: like, yeah. to
1: that into post.
0: Um, I don't know about post, but I know there's some uh, on set rules about uh, who can talk to what level about what. Um, wow. I'm sure that stuff gets broken all the time, but there's always this, uh, you know, it's like a chilling effect over like whether you want to gamble or not, I'm sure, or something Mm -hmm. like that. But I would say if you're not on a, if you're not bound by those things, ignore those things and just, uh, you know, I don't, I don't see the point in stuff like that. Then then the second overarching thing, I'm almost done here, um, is to recognize good behavior. My goodness, I see this a lot too, and I'm sure I'm guilty of it as well. Like I just don't notice something, but make it your job to notice things. You know, you know, a film day is 12 hours minimum, (laughs) you know, a lot of times it's 12 hours. That's a long time. And this, and a lot of people are giving it their creative all the entire time. Like they're literally working their brain creatively for 12 hours. If you can't find it in yourself to say one good thing, about something that someone's doing and affirm them in something that they're doing. Either you've got someone really bad and you've got really big problems on your hand (laughs) or, you know, you're probably not looking hard enough, right? Um, And just make it your job to notice because no one else will. You know, the producers are not going to. They're too busy. Heads of departments might be too busy. You are busy as hell, but you're the only person that who's positive affirmation means literally everything, right? Do that. (laughs) Um, And the third thing is uh, to be decisive and uh, with the caveat of what I said before, but also be inclusive, right? So be decisive, but be inclusive. Um, Meaning, and this is something I can be really bad at. So, and that's partly because of the way my mind works. So someone will be like, "Uh, we don't have this location anymore. We gotta figure this out, right? And we need to figure it out within the next 10 minutes or else we're going to be so off schedule, you don't even want to think about it, right? That might be your AD talking to you, right? On set or even before set, you might be, uh, you know, oh man, like you've been mull- mulling over this story decision for the past 10, 10 months or something like that. And you still don't have the answer, but you need the story to be locked. You need the script to be locked to proceed to the next, uh, uh thing. You really can't be ambivalent about these things you know you can't let them endlessly eat away at you because you just can't you know there's there's constraints so be decisive and be specific be very specific that's literally your job so don't make the costume uh, person come up to you and be like huh, uh, uh i see you want period uh period wardrobe um but do you want that period wardrobe to be hyper realistic or do you want to be uh, you know, sort of more like a fantastical version of the period stuff, right? And don't just say fantastical and walk, walk away, right? <laughs> that that costume person might be very well happy to, to go off and do their own thing with just that little note, or they may not be, and they might, they might be in, like, you know, crazy overload and not, might not be comfortable telling you that they're, they're overloaded with all the decisions they have to make if you know what you want, say what you want. So articulate it, you know, I I want just a little bit more elegant than the average person would actually have in this this era. And I want more layers than they would actually have for, for depth of costume. And give me some color contrast between the set color and the clothing color in these particular kinds of scenes. And I really love the idea because I've really been thinking about this character in the color blue, and maybe I don't really know why, but I just always thought that this color, this this color blue, really f- suits this character, you know. And if they don't like it, invite them to tell you. So that's the inclusive p- part, you know. And when you, when they tell you, really think about it. Don't just like say no. So yeah, that's that's the basics of the interpersonal aspects of uh, directing, you know. I think it's really just about managing managing the vision and managing the vision makers, and you have to manage yourself, you know. Like that's control of self is like probably like. 75 percent of the game you know you have to know yourself well You have to manage your stress well you have to manage uh what you can handle really well um know your weaknesses your your what you're good at and then you know you need to know how best you can communicate with those around you and i think everything else all the creative spot aspects of things that's a whole other you know how to direct well and like directing actors and all that kind of stuff that is a whole other can of worms that uh well, we might open another day. (laughs) So, yeah, that's my segment.
1: Yeah, you're reminding me, you know, bringing back some memories. I've worked on two sets, um, you know, not related to like like post-production composing. And first one was for doing sound on set for one of Irving's films. And then I also did some sound for another student short film. You're bringing back memories of, of that. And good things and 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 not so good things. <laughs> yes. I'll, I'll I'll you know I'll 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 avoid going into specifics um but not everyone uh understands uh, that leadership uh as as well as as well as you do. So you're yeah, out I... there listening, you know, <laughs> take, take note. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I will also say that uh, I was definitely a lot less like thoughtful back then too. So I'm sure I, I, I made probably a million and one mis. I know I I can even name mistakes, but that's what you should be doing too. Like like don't just think about your creative mistakes. Think also about what you said to that person in that one time. And was that really were you being a good like were you being a good person? Is what matters the, the most, you know, first and foremost. But second, like was that the best way to go about things, you know? And I have regrets, so yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah maybe one day we have to talk about, um, you know, from the, the, the other end of that from like someone b- beneath the director. Um, like I was just literally the other night, um, watching the kind of infamous, uh, well, like maybe not infamous kind of maybe, I guess depending on your point of view, infamous or famous, uh, clip from the uh, James Horner's Ted talk, um, back in I think 2004 and he's talking about, um, you know, what, what, what's it like to score a, a, you know, major motion picture, and basically he he says on there, discusses it for a while, but he says that, you know, most of the art is uh, in, um, not in writing the notes, but in artfully convincing the director uh, that, that their vision is not as good as, you know, for what, for their vision for the music is not as good as what, you want but you have to let you don't want them to know that you're saying that basically of course Uh, yeah (laughs) it's it's a a fun talk
0: and i would recommend uh you know i wouldn't just tell the director your your vision sucks i mean i can imagine something that would make my day worse than hearing man your vision really is bad you know but you know also you have to say things too you know
1: (laughs) right well, I think that's what he means by the artfulness of it you know you 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 suggest something else and you kind of wanna make the composer or the director come to like what you have in your head without them knowing that you're sort of going against their own vision but you you're convincing them that their that your vision is actually what they really ha- want you know have in mind. I think that's what he Agreed. means. And obviously horner's horner was one of the best composers of the late nineties to, you know, up to his untimely death. uh, What I want to say six years ago now, 2014, Mm. 15. So yeah. Anyway, that's another conversation.
0: But uh, before we move on, I I just, the last thing, this is a random pet peeve. If you are, have you have people working with you for free? You are in their undying, you know, you, you are not working for yourself in full anymore. You know, if people are volunteering for you, Like you got to treat every last one of those people, you know, super well. Um, and the least you can do, you have to spend money on your crew. I I don't like, just, you have to like, there's, 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 there's no way around it. And the reason why I say that is minimally, you have to feed them. It just, the, the thing that irks me the most is if there's a set and people are working for free and you are making them buy food. You are, I don't know. It just, that, that just really irks me. Don't do that, don't don't be that person. If you have to save $100 to feed everyone pizza, you know, even if it's the lowest quality pizza, at least offer them that option, please. <laughs> and water, like, like I, this has happened to me. You have to bring water for everyone, not just yourself. Water for everyone, paid or not paid. This is part of the production process. If you don't have water, there's something wrong with you.